to the Make a Statement podcast with Derek Robinson and Paul Kayon, presented by Mass Strategy. Let's go. Welcome back to the Make a Statement podcast, where we teach you what to say, how to say it, and where to say it, because we believe everyone deserves to have their message heard, including the mustard seed in Calgary. And that's why we have Samantha Lowe with us. Samantha, welcome to the program with me and co-host Paul Tayon. Thanks for having me. Really excited to chat with you guys. For sure. So we're just going to have a natural conversation here. And what we are doing here is we actually plan to give away several donations in December. And Paul and I ran out of time. Uh, so we're doing it in January. But I think this is important because we want to get the gift of treasure and awareness. So we'll do the, the fancy, unnecessary fake check presentation at the end with real money to come. Uh, but then we, what we really want to talk about is why the mustard seed, why it matters, why it's important, and give the gift of awareness, which I think is way more valuable than just the money. Money's great, but awareness is more important. So we can bring more people to the cause and help you out. So, and Paul, welcome back to the podcast. We You had a one episode break, so I hope you enjoyed your one episode break. It was a relaxing break, although we're making up for it now. We're, we're getting back on the episode train. Yeah, for sure. And, I, and I, I'm ditching out on the next one, so you won't uh, hear me here on the next one, but it's good for us to take a break sometimes. But to the mustard seed. So Samantha, thanks again for coming on. The mustard seed, people don't know what it is. They think, okay, this is a agricultural type institution of some sort, or maybe they heard about a parable of Jesus back in the day, but what is the organization itself and where is it and what's kind of the history? Yeah, so the mustard seed, we are larger than just Calgary. Um, we started in 1984, so about 39 years ago. I don't know the exact month, um, so I'm just going to say 38, 39 years ago. And we started as a simple street ministry, so very much based on that parable. Um, it was run by those experiencing homelessness for those experiencing homelessness. So people with lived experience, but it slowly expanded into a shelter and other basic services just here in Calgary, but it's expanded. Um, so we're across Alberta today into Red Deer, Medicine Hat, Edmonton, Calgary, um, and also over into BC in Kamloops. So we've gone from very much a small seed, um, to a fairly large organization that provides wraparound services for those experiencing both poverty and homelessness. That's good. What's the mission statement again? Yeah, so we're dedicated to eliminating poverty and homelessness in the areas in which we serve. So um, that's across both both provinces here in Canada. So yeah, it's, it's growing, the areas, areas that you serve all the time. Yeah. Great. And I know we're going to talk about some campaigns in that. I, I want to talk about the idea of the mustard seed. Why? What is this whole parable about the mustard seed? It's the it's the smallest seed that grows into like the largest plant or what's the deal with that? Yeah. So it's essentially we're able to plant a small seed of hope um, within those we serve and the communities that we're in and expand it into slowly eliminating poverty and homelessness. Um, and we do that through providing very much wraparound services. So we're not just dealing with providing shelter, though we provide shelter in all of our cities. Um, we provide basic hygiene items, um, health and wellness services, housing, um, employment services, spiritual care, community engagement. So we go out and um, educate in the communities that we're in. Um, neighbor centers, so which includes sort of like community, um, preventative services, after school programming, um, and then a variety of partnerships with a variety of agencies that we're with. So um, we essentially 
fulfill, fulfill that parable by um, spreading just the hope and love of service and trying to eliminate homelessness and poverty at the same time while doing it. So there's, there's so many things there that we could kind of dive into because it's so broad of uh, a service offering that Mustard Seed provides. But it started just with the shelter services because it seems like homelessness is sort of at the core. And mm -hmm. so, you know, how do people find you? So, you know, say I'm I'm someone on the street in downtown Calgary or work or in Red Deer or Medicine Hat or Kamloops. How, how do I find the mustard seed? What am I what am I looking for? Am I looking for like a warm place to stay that night or am I looking for clothing or how do you, how do people typically come to your doors? So and I'm saying this from a service provider who has worked um, directly with those experiencing homelessness um, as an occupational therapist. I find a lot of our clients, our community members, guests, um, they end up finding us through word of mouth, through um, other individuals who have either previously experienced homelessness or are experiencing homelessness. They're like, you want a safe place to stay where you're going to have somebody who can provide you with a warm meal, clothing, or help you navigate this really challenging system that you're in to try and get out of homelessness. And that's usually how they find us, is word of mouth. Um, we also work really closely with a variety of agencies in each one of our cities. So whether that's um, the DI or Alex or CUPS in Calgary or um, Bissell Boyle up in Edmonton or community paramedics down in Medicine Hat, we've got all these wonderful interagency um, relationships. And so if somebody is seeking care and seeking a safe place to stay, a lot of times agencies will refer over to us. Um, we also have a variety of outreach programs, both in Edmonton and Calgary, where we'll go out to encampments and provide services. So even if somebody may not know about us, our outreach teams can let them know that they can come and use our shelter and use our services. Or if they don't want to, then we'll provide those services out in the community. What do you mean by encampment? So um, there's a variety of different terms. So living rough is a, is a pretty common one. Um, These are people on the street, like in tents, or they're they're literally on a park bench or something like that. Yeah, you got it. And so that's where, and at that that's oftentimes the most visually striking aspect of homelessness right. that people sort of recognize and see, and it's talked about in the news. Right. Um, so encampments typically set up in a variety of areas. They happen all year. They're a little bit more invisible in the winter. Um, and it's individuals that either don't want to access a shelter. It might be triggering. Um, there might be um, things happening there that it, they don't necessarily want to engage with um, or other individuals that they don't want to engage with. And so they're or they're choosing to stay outside. And that's um, that's fine, too. But we want to make sure that they are not um, sort of we want to eliminate as many, many barriers as possible. So we have encampment teams that'll go out, build relationships, um, and try and get people housed, try and get them medical care um, into safe spaces. So I'll jump in with uh, any questions. Yeah, I was gonna say, I know that like people have sort of ideas of what homelessness looks like to them or what kind of the need for, for access to help eradicate homelessness and poverty looks like. I mean, if we go through any of our downtown cores, you see sort of that, that strengthening image, right? Of like, whether it's an encampment sort of by, 
uh, its formal kind of the way it's known or, or even just various kind of forms of poverty and homelessness. Can you speak to kind of the greatest need that you're seeing these days? Obviously, poverty is like a, it's a moving target, right? Like depending on where, where things are at in society. But can you speak to sort of what you see as the greatest need uh, out there for you guys and what you guys are trying to address, uh, it, I suppose, in, in the recent kind of past or the current times? Yeah, so very complex question. And there's a bunch of uh, people who are probably a lot smarter than me who are able to answer it more comprehensively, who have done research and everything else. But on the ground, um, it's interesting because historically we've always viewed it as you should just provide a shelter and then housing for homelessness. And that's sort of this binary, like unhoused becomes housed. But what we see is it's so much more complex than that. So even something as simple as a piece of ID to get housing, to get even medical care, to get a variety of different services, like that little piece can keep you from, you know, getting housed. It can keep you from having food security, financial security, everything else. So we're seeing um, it's not just housing. It's not just shelter. Um, we see the need for um so identification we see the need for employment services we see the need for people having food security so it it goes between this sort of there's also hidden homelessness so people couch surfing and right. so um it's not just shelter beds though that's something that we're seeing a huge need for this year we have in calgary 340 shelter beds we've never seen them full hmm. and after the pandemic whether or not you say whether it's finished or if it's still going. But in this year where everything is sort of opened up again and after the social isolation and the um, financial challenges that people have experienced, those shelter beds have been full. Hmm. Um, there have been, we've never turned anybody away, but we've had to set up extra mats. We've had to um, liaise with other shelters to make sure somebody can get a bed. And so we're seeing an increased need. So we're seeing more individuals experiencing homelessness, but it doesn't mean that those wraparound needs that they have are less acute and they just need a shelter bed. They still need financial security, um, housing security, food security, all of those additional things. I'm intrigued by the way you kind of described that that multi-dimensional layer of support that's needed, right? Everything from things that you wouldn't think about. I mean, if like I'm Obviously, we're fortunate to not have to, I'm not, not have to have access to those services in my lifetime, but just having kind of an idea of what that looks like in my head, thinking that, okay, it means a warm meal, it means a bed, and then helping them kind of get on their way. But there's so much more to it in terms of like the, the degree of dependency on, uh, you know, people having kind of, they, they need a whole lot of support, whether it's like you said, a driver's license or ID, or whether it's, you know, something kind of in the neighborhood of training to kind of help them get on their feet and get established. It's, it's just, it, it's more than kind of what I pictured it being needed. Do you, do you see that need, sort of the need of existing services growing? Or do you see that like the umbrella of things that you need to offer to people to help them get back on their feet growing as well? I'd say a recognition. I think it was always underlying. I think that there was always an underlying need for sort of that wraparound care. Um, but I think the the recognition of that is growing, if that if, if that makes any sense, where we're recognizing that a person is just not food, housing, and that's it. Um, maybe some clothing. There's need for um, dealing with underlying trauma, so accessing counseling supports. Um, I'm I'm a healthcare professional, and so 
Um, it's funny that they chose me to come on this podcast because I end up talking on a little bit of healthcare lingo. And so oftentimes I think about it in the context of what we call the social determinants of health. Um, and that's, you know, food security, housing security, um, underlying trauma. So like your, what your childhood experiences, everything else. And so I think that it's the recognition of that even broadly in the social service sector has actually changed. And I think this is a bit of a tangent, um, but I, I feel like what happened with the pandemic was sort of this beautiful recognition that we all need to work together. And that may sound cheesy, but we end up working in collaboration a lot more with other agencies and recognizing we have to interface a lot more because there's that recognition for wraparound services. And we can't provide them all. No agency can provide them all, but we can work together to make sure that we you know, go back to that mission where we try to eliminate homelessness and poverty wherever we serve, but we recognize we have to do it together. And so, yeah, long-winded answer. <laughs> well, that's a really good answer. But it sounds like to me, like you started in 84 and it was like, we need some shelters. We need to give people some food and some warm mitts and all that sort of thing. And you still do all that today, but then it's like, as you did more and more of this work, you realize, wow, people are complex. Yeah. And, you know, you bring in professionals and it sounds like today you have a, a roster of occupational therapists and counselors and um, different services that you provide for folks um, because every person is different. Every need is different. I'm sure addiction is a big one. I, I'm curious to, to know if that's kind of how it developed and if you see the need for mental health counseling being uh, a lot different after the pandemic. Um, I, so that's a that's an interesting one. Yes, is a short answer, um, definitely. Um, but there's always, especially when you get into the complexity of homelessness, oftentimes there's a lot of trauma that underlies it, um, whether that's injustices experienced systemically, institutionally, or um, familially, like adverse childhood experiences. Right. But definitely the social isolation of the pandemic accentuated a lot of those things. Um, it also made it really hard for our clients to access things when they were shut down. So if they previously had counseling and they were getting counseling and then it moved to telehealth, but they didn't have a telephone or they didn't have a computer to access that. So there was a lot of barriers that were erected through the socialization, social isolation that came with the pandemic. Right. And I think there's also been an increased recognition if we get back to that for the need for mental health counseling for this population um, or just across the board um, nationally. Yeah. So, sure. yes. And, and that's one thing we're pretty proud of providing is a barrier. I can't ever say that anything is barrier free, but mm -hmm. eliminating as many barriers to counseling as possible throughout our sites. Right. Yeah. I know you have the, the shelters, but then you also have actually housing for mm -hmm. for individuals. So is it short-term housing? Is it long-term like affordable housing units? And how's that, how does that work? Yeah, so it's a mix. Um, again, <laughs> short and long answer. Right. Um, so recognizing that people are in transition. So we have transitional group housing um, so that people can live together in a shared space, but have their own bedrooms and it's really affordable for those transitioning out of homelessness for those with higher needs we have wraparound services um, that happen in what we call permanent supportive housing buildings we have one of the a couple of those in edmonton as well as calgary we have recovery housing in calgary and uh, kamloops where we provide 
on that spectrum that people experience with substance use disorders, we provide them wraparound services there so that they can eventually move towards sobriety. And so housing is as complex as the individuals that we serve. And so we try to make sure that we have an array of it to make sure that we fulfill the needs of each different demographic of uh, the population in the different areas that we serve. I know uh, my 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 wife used to work at a, a nonprofit similar to this in Regina, where they have so many different supports, and it, it was almost hard to for people to grasp all the various elements of what's going on in the organization. Does Mustard Seed have that problem too? Like, there's so many things happening, so many different ways you have to help individuals. Does it get confusing for people when you try to just describe it? Um, do you mean confusing for individuals who are looking at? I'm thinking like from myself, I want to, I want to donate. I'm trying to understand the mustard seed. It's like, there's, there's a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. Do, do people get confused by like, cause they may think all oh, you're just a shelter. Yeah. And I think that's, that's honestly pretty common for organizations that run sort of shelter facilities is people just associate homelessness with the shelter. And so even though in the social service sector, we've slowly changed into being like, well, it's not, homelessness isn't just having a roof over your head. It's all these wraparound things. Um, I definitely think that maybe the public perception of that hasn't changed alongside the growth of the, of the sector. And so, yes, <laughs> I think sometimes it can be confusing, but hopefully not for our clients that we serve. And so we have actually system navigators um, in each city that we serve in because the systems that we have may be a little bit complicated, but the systems that they in which they reside, including like AISH or um, other financial security pieces or getting IDs or things like that. So we have actually system navigators who can walk alongside our clients with their goals and what they're wanting to achieve and navigate through those really complex systems that I even find complex um, right. myself when, when trying to navigate for me or my family. I'm just going to pivot and uh, you mentioned something earlier and I just want to kind of go back to it really quick because it just it created a question in my mind. I know that you guys obviously started small. You started kind of with just shelters. You've obviously expanded uh, both in cities and the service offerings that you give. Mm -hmm. You look at that and kind of the history of the organization, obviously growth is a very good thing, generally speaking, but obviously when you're servicing a need that is growing like this as well, do you find that paradox a little bit kind of tough to grapple with sometimes where like you're, you're growing because there's a greater need in society, but growing is also a good thing for your organization because you're able to help more people. Mm -hmm. Do you do you kind of find that that question to kind of be, I don't want to like throw an existential question too deeply out your way, but just it, it got me thinking like, is there, how does that kind of make you guys and your organization at Mustard Seed think about the future as well? Do you think about kind of that, that growth and looking to go up to kind of serve more people as being something that you're very much continually focused on? Or are you kind of like, at one point thinking, we just need to focus on here at home where the need keeps growing. Yeah, so, it, and that's a, it's a good and it's an interesting question. Um, please, I'll go have my existential crisis after we finish this call. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so one thing, I'm, I'm gonna pull it back a little bit. So one thing about being donation-based um, predominantly in our organization means we can be nimble. Um, so when we're thinking, it's not necessarily a growth mindset, like we need to go out to these different areas and serve as much as what can we do as we continue to evolve to suit the populations that we see. And I can say as a healthcare provider, 
being able to nimbly change our health services because we're not tied to a funding body, but we're tied to donations has been really beautiful. And so in a roundabout way, I'm trying to answer your question, I apologize. Um, so now we're seeing more women and in our different cities. So I'm not thinking about geographical expansion. I'm thinking about how do we serve the populations that we're seeing right now um, in our in our very tangible shelters, outreach areas, all those kinds of things. And right now it's women, we're seeing more women. Um, and so having the ability to nimbly pivot towards, I'm using all those sort of terms from like arose from the pandemic, pivot towards a population um, in the areas where we currently serve with the same sort of services, but tailoring them, I'd say that's more how we have our growth mindset set. Um, so we have like a women's campaign coming up in a bit because we're seeing, I think it's like 40% of women in our shelter, whereas it used to be 20%. Um, so it's less about a geographical expansion or serving more in different areas as much as how do we ensure that we have quality of services that is serving the demographic that needs it the most where we're serving right now. Yeah, um, very, very good <laughs> answer to a question I deliberately loaded in such a way. <laughs> Can you speak a little bit more towards uh, some of the current campaigns that you're you're running now and some of the where you see that need kind of growing? Obviously, those campaigns are very much focused on that need that you see coming out. You mentioned the women, uh, women's shelter piece specifically. Yeah, so we've we've seen a significant amount of women comparatively to before. And so I've been with the seed for almost six years. And it's only been in the past year or so um, that we've seen the demographics in our shelters change. And we've we've seen We've seen that actually across the board with other services. So it's not just us that, ex that is experiencing it, whether that's due to increased domestic violence or um, a limitation in being able to couch surf because that's really common for women is they've got the, sort of the social supports that keep them from having entering into the shelter. But at the same time, we call it the hidden face of homelessness. Um, they make up as I said before, about 40% of the population that we're serving now, um, but only about 13% of shelters in Canada, the spaces in them are dedicated towards women. So that is one of the campaigns that we're focusing on um, moving forward in the, in the next few months. The other one is one that's near and dear to my heart is health and wellness, um, just because as we talked about before, the acuity of mental health has just skyrocketed. Um, and the need for services um, has skyrocketed. We provided about 60,000 services across our sites for health and wellness last year. And that also includes that system navigation. So addressing those social determinants of health. So those are the two campaigns that we have coming up um, where we're dedicating time and focus to those areas in the seed. And so that's that's one thing that that I do wanna highlight because it's something that we're seeing is just a huge need. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you have women's shelter spaces right now, or is that through something looking to expand to having more specific women's shelter space? Yeah, so it depends on the city. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and being on all the five cities makes it a very nebulous answer. But we just opened up a women's only shelter in Kamloops. Um, and we provide a lot of services, I can say, from our health and wellness department towards them and that system navigation and that counseling piece. Um, in Calgary here, we definitely have um, designated women's spaces. We're looking at opening up more and having specific service providers dedicated towards women and same up in Edmonton. So 
it's something we're, again, very appreciative of the fact that we're able to nimbly pivot um, with the needs that we see, um, especially given generous donations that we get. So when you say nimbly pivot, it's because you're donor focused and you're not government funded, so you don't have to kind of adhere to all the government rules and you can quickly go into markets and do different things as the needs come up. You don't have to wait. You know, Paul and I have worked in government. We know the bureaucracy. We know the red team trying to get anything done. So is that what you mean? To a certain extent. Like some of our, our shelter funding is through the government. Okay. But in terms of all of our other wraparound services, some come from generous grants. We've got a City of Calgary grant for, um, say, our outreach services. We collaborate with um, Edmonton Police Services for the help team up there. So we do have some... Um, services that are tied to government or municipal funding um, but in terms of being able to create an extra position that's specifically designated towards women and tackling their needs or being able to provide specific counseling services things like that so the additional wraparound services that we provide being able to pivot in that way has been um, instrumental and i think is very much at the basis of, if we're gonna go back to that parable, becoming this giant tree, this beautiful tree out of this tiny little, tiny little mustard seed where we're able to um, have new shoots all the time. Right. It is inspirational to know that, you know, one person sort of started this in 1984 and where it's grown today, multi-city probably have helped tens of thousands of people over the years and all those little seeds are planted in each individual and then they grow and they transition out of homelessness or poverty into a better life and mm -hmm. i think that's the the whole goal at the end of the day um, yes are, are you seeing i know you spoke a little bit about sort of you know uh we spoke about the history of the organization we spoke about kind of like how that's changed a little bit with the pandemic have you seen um offshoots of hope or like some hopeful kind of stories coming out of you know recent times i, I know that like the pandemic was a bit of like we talked about it being a bit of a downer time people needing more mental health supports afterwards have you seen kind of some some positive signs so i think you mentioned everyone kind of coming together in a little more collaborative way uh multi-agency kind of style um there's a particular examples that you're kind of like really that you could kind of leave people with that, that offer some some extra proof or help in that direction uh do you mean from sort of like a an organization sense or like a for a client I mean, I mean, sort of like the stories that you're seeing coming from clients as a result of the partnerships that have kind of been built and that have allowed you to see uh, the benefit of kind of that, maybe that collaborative work that you've undertaken with agencies um, in, in a kind of a cross, like you said, very much wraparound type uh, service uh, for those who really need it. Yeah. So um, even during the pandemic, we were um, really fortunate to work with a variety of agencies to run like an isolation unit out in Calgary here. And so um, we had clients come in who didn't have a safe place to say isolate during COVID-19. And by collaborating with, um, we had CUPS, the Alex, um, a ver like honestly AHS, a variety of services. We were able to get clients um, come and isolate safely. And then they were able to move into housing. They were able to access a physician through CUPS. They were able to um, get additional supports as they needed in the community. And then we actually have some clients who um, ended up you know, getting housing with us and then we're able to give back. Um, and a lot of times now we're seeing coming out of the pandemic, like we've even, we had one woman who 
she experienced uh, um, opioid use disorder after having years of chronic back pain. Um, and then she ended up having prescription painkillers and then used them daily. And it just, it spiraled um, in her own words. And she said she had too many traumas um, that she hadn't dealt with and ended up in the shelter after the hospital. And then um, now she's in our housing. I can talk about it because um, she has let us talk about it and um, ended up in our housing. And now she helps out with the community events. She's in knitting, art classes, cooking classes. She accesses wellness services downstairs. Um, and now she's able to be, um, she calls herself clean and sober. And she volunteers to serve coffee weekly, um, distributes food hampers to other guests. Like she's, it's pretty remarkable. Amazing. That's a seed that was planted and grew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I find it interesting that all these individuals can come back and actually help. Is Do you find that a lot where, you know, someone comes to, and, and they they serve other people? Yeah, and and honestly, I, I've I've seen guests, community members, clients come back and even donate um, small amounts. They they take whatever they can and they and they put it back in because they say that it's it's helped so much that they want somebody else to be helped in the same way. And so you, this social connection, this this beautiful community is built. Um, and a lot of our clients are guests. They they seek that and then they end up forming it. And it's it's really wonderful to see. It's it's a very beautiful thing. So and it humanizes the the face of homelessness to a lot of people. So are there things that the public or government they just don't get about homelessness? Like I'll take a quick example of this lady you're talking about who had chronic back pain and then got addicted to pain medication. I, I wonder if she, you know, I think most people think, oh, it's, you know, it's someone that grew up on the street and you know their parents were terrible and like you know they have this sort of stereotype of the, the typical homeless person are, i'm sure some of those stereotypes are real and that's why they're there but can, can you just talk about how or what people don't understand about homelessness the identity of someone yeah i'd say that exceptional life circumstances can happen to anybody so right. we've seen people who come from backgrounds that you just described but i've also seen engineers i've seen individuals who are in high-powered jobs um and just either family losses financial losses experiencing um substance use like there's a variety of things that end up happening with people and and whether like it just i think there's this concept that homelessness is something that would never happen to me and that's something that i think people need to change a mindset around. And mm -hmm. even homelessness in and of itself is, is something that people don't want to cognitively sort of think about sometimes because it's mm -hmm. just so uncomfortable. So um, there's this really interesting professor, uh, Dr. Lasana Harris, <laughs> I'm hoping I got the name right, um, who actually did research on um, how brains react when an individual will view somebody else experiencing homelessness. And there's almost like this neural defense mechanism is the way he calls it, um, where when you and I are talking and I see you, part of my brain lights up 
And it's like, oh, I'm talking to another human. When somebody, they've done these studies, when somebody looks at somebody experiencing homelessness, that part of the brain doesn't light up. It's almost like this defense mechanism where I don't want to recognize, yeah, I don't want to recognize the humanity and hmm. sort of this dehumanized perception. And I think that by engaging um, people, by volunteering, by um, going out into the community, by having students, I think that we're able to change sort of that neural pathway that is happening and, and really humanize homelessness. And I think that's something that needs to be talked about a little bit more is how we dehumanize and subconsciously. And I think it's just sort of beautiful if we're able to rehumanize. And it's such a basic thing. And so it's not, I'm not talking about policy changing or anything else, just very right. much from a basic human level. I think that's very impactful because I, I think most of us have the experience of homelessness, either just seeing you know something dirty on the street and that is bad to our brains, or someone asking us for money and it, it's bothering us. If, you know, we're trying to get coffee or whatever, and that's and that's annoying to us. And so, yeah, you're right, we probably create those neural pathways in that matter. But I know my wife, who worked at um, a similar organization in Regina, she became friends with a lot of the homeless people that came in. She was like she was like buddies with them, and yeah. I think her her teaching to me was they're not actually that much different than you are. Like they, they've gone through trauma, they've gone through addiction, something's happened in their life that has been very traumatic and that's what's caused their homelessness or, you know, terrible parent, whatever it happens to be, there's all sorts of causes, but they're, they're very similar to you and I. Exactly. And we have to treat them as such. You have it hundred percent right. And that's why I'm, I'm very, very passionate. We take on a lot of students because they can become advocates later in the system. Right. I call it my diabolical plan to create advocates throughout whatever system our students are, their social workers or anything else. Um, that's the opposite of diabolical, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it I like your version of diabolical. That's <laughs> um, or even having volunteers. Volunteers are so important, not only to providing services, but also to becoming advocates for our population throughout. They're, they're going to go home and be like, hey, I met Joe. He was awesome. Um, this is what I now know about homelessness. This is now how I conceptualize it and spread that in their social groups, in their families. And I think that's super important, too. So very much sort of what your wife did when she came home. She's like, hey, I'm, I'm friends with like Pete over here. He's great. Um, and I think that's that's a really beautiful way of us rehumanizing. Does uh, the Mustard Seed do any advocacy with government? Is it ever pushing for policy change? No, so we we remain fairly neutral. <laughs> that game, okay, I got it. Yeah, so we we provide services and we walk alongside clients. We ensure that they're um, equitable, respectful, and very much person centered. And so that that is where our focus is. It there are some great groups out there doing advocacy, working alongside um, uh, politicians and other movements and institutions, but we're very much focused on being on the ground and providing as many services as we can. And that's, that is our lens. Well, advocacy is crit critical in lots of ways too, but like you said, there's other groups doing that, but I really love what you do where it's like, you're in the trenches, like you are person to person providing services and basic needs. Like I saw something on your Facebook page before it came on, it's like, urgent need underwear we need men's and women's underwear and it's like, it's such a simple thing it's like people need underwear like they have no money they have no resources to buy that and can you talk about some of those other like really basic things that people need that people just don't understand that this is a 
a necessity for folks. Yeah, socks. Socks. I can't enough about the the need for socks. Mm. Um, our clients are on their feet every day. Good footwear. You're right. Um, it's such a basic thing that, like, when you pull on socks in the morning, you're just like, ah. Oh, I don't know where the other one went. And it's just such a frustration, right? Like, and that is sort of a day-to-day -day thing for us. But for our clients, it's, I don't have socks. Um, and it, you can get, again, healthcare hat on, you can get some really bad blisters, ulcers, yeah. um, really long-term effects from not having proper footwear or socks. Mm. And so such a basic, basic need. Um, in the winter, gloves, hats, um, I'm sure you, you may have seen the recent CBC report about the amount of uh, frostbite, mm. both in uh, Edmonton and Calgary, skyrocketed. Um, so very basic winter uh, gear that we take for granted living in a very cold place. Um, even uh, just a good jacket. Um, Did you all these items, like if I had, you know, I, I did a fundraiser and I bought a bunch of socks. Yeah. Should I, should I give the money to Mustard Seed or should I buy, or should I get people to donate socks and give socks? What, what, like what's the best way to help? What's the, whatever's the easier way for somebody to help. We take all those donations. They all get used. Um, we go through a heck of a lot of jackets every year and socks and hand warmers and gloves and toques. And in the summer, um <laughs> one year we had so much water donated um and it was stacked against the walls but we went through it all um i kept wandering through one one area of our building and i was like it's gonna fall on me it's gonna fall on me at any moment and then like two weeks later it was gone because it was handed out so all those sort of essential items that yeah we take for granted um are very much in need deodorant a toothbrush um very simple day-to-day -day items right right yeah so, is, so what are the ways that let's go into the ways people can help so i, I think we've heard the story we you know, i think we all want to end homelessness we have to change our mindset about that we have to realize it's multi-layered for people they need wraparound supports you provide all that so how can we help mustard seed get to more people to help more people to get more women's shelters what should we do samantha tell us <laughs> uh donations are always welcome. Donations okay, are essential. Um, I, we provide health services based on donations. We provide a variety of services based on donations. They are very much essential. We're um, creating a new housing project in Calgary called Hub 29 and donations to that. We're going to do more preventative care rather than reactive care, which is sort of what we're moving towards. So we wanna make sure that we're providing housing for those families and kiddos that need it. Donations, um, really essential. And then we get into gift and kind donations. So sort of what we were talking about with the, the gloves, the toques, right. the socks. Um, Pairs of socks would be appreciated, not necessarily the one that you you can't <laughs> you can't new buy. socks, please. New underwear, please. <laughs> new underwear. Yeah. Um, and then again, just time. Time is, and again, that gets back to my diabolical plan. Um, time is so so precious for all of us, but that volunteering time is 
very essential for us continuing our services. Um, we get professionals volunteering. We get people who just want to come in and serve, um, whether that's a simple meal. And that, I think we did like 58,000 uh, volunteer hours last year. And each one of those hours contributed us to us being able to serve more people. And so those are the three main ways that people can help out. Right. So money, in-kind, donations, and time. Yeah. Is what they need. So I think you go to the c.ca and I see two great buttons there. The volunteer button, make sure to do that. Work with Sam, she's great. And all the other great people there. And then if you go ways to give, it looks like you can give online. You can do legacy giving, which I think people underestimate the power of legacy giving um, and, and leaving an organization in your will and a portion of your wealth for them. I think that's a fantastic way to do things as well. And then it looks like you have a gift catalog there. So you can provide the essentials that people need. So, so make sure to go check that out. Paul, do you have any more questions for Samantha before we wrap up? I'm just inspired by your your testimony of humanizing <clears throat> and seeing the human face of people that you serve every day, because that's that, that really is what it's about. The, the fact that, that is that we treat, um, you know, whether you go back to the golden rule or any variant of the golden rule, right, to, to treat our, uh, others as we would like to be treated ourselves and to picture ourselves in a position where or, or any loved one where they would need help one day. And to see that that human face uh, on on people is just uh, it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful characteristic of your organization, and it just inspires um, inspires me to um, see that you guys will obviously continue to thrive into the future. And, and like I said, it's it's always it's it's that weird paradox of seeing you grow and serve more and more people, which is always great, uh, but just always a constant reminder that we need organizations like this uh, to help those who are in need uh, in our society. So so thank you for offering that. And so yeah, thank you for what you do and. Thank you, Paul, for that rendition because it came up with a good slogan idea from Mustard Seed and podcast episodes, seeing the human face of homelessness. I think this is a very apt way to maybe describe how we talked about this today. So, so Sam, thank you for all you do. Um, I know you could probably do something else as, as a career that would be less difficult in lots of ways. I know uh, working in nonprofits is not easy. So uh, we do thank you for your service to the community and, and everything you do. And we are giving the gift of money <laughs> is what we're doing. And obviously awareness, but this is the uh, the check presentation of $2,500 to the mustard seed, unnecessary fake checks that will turn into real money um, shortly. So uh, again, thank you for, for being involved and for coming on here and advocating. And, Thanks for uh, having me. And thank you for your donation. Every dollar matters. And I don't say that lately. Yes. So. So. Yeah, it sounds like every dollar goes to something very valuable and practical. Um, and it's very easy to track and see how work goes and how it helps. So so thank you again. And Paul, you got the last word here. The seed.ca, give, volunteer, donate. Go and uh, go and go and make a difference as well. Make your make your own statement and uh, and be a part of the mustard seeds mission and help them grow and serve their fellow humans in society. And and thanks to everyone who's listening and who who takes action based on that. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Make a Statement podcast.